All right, well, we're there in Nehemiah chapter number five, and I think this is now our sixth or maybe seventh uh, sermon out of the book of Nehemiah. We've been looking at principles, uh, and the, the title of this series is Rise and Build. We're learning principles from the book of Nehemiah uh, that we can apply in our lives to help us make an impact, to help us make a difference, to help us be able to influence people and help people out. And as we start uh, chapter 5, you, you uh, will see that chapter 5 is all about a problem that Nehemiah had to deal with uh, during the construction of the wall. If you look at verse number one, the Bible says, and there was a great cry of the people and of their wives, notice this, against their brethren, the Jews. So you have a conflict between brethren, and the brethren we're referring to are the children of Israel. And if you look at verse number seven, we're going to look at verse seven uh, in the context, but just skip down to verse number seven. I want you to notice it says, Then I consulted with myself, and I rebuked the nobles and the rulers. So what you have here is you've got the nobles and the rulers on one side. And you've got the poor, basically, on the other side. And they're having this conflict. There's the poor versus the nobles versus the rulers versus the people with money. Look at verse 2. For there were that said, this is the poor people speaking. This is the people that are being oppressed or being taken advantage of us. For, uh, being taken advantage of. For there were that said, we, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, we take up corn for them. And notice that we may eat and live. So these people are basically just wanting to eat. They're wanting you know, to survive. They're not making a lot of money. They're just needing food. Notice verse 3. Some also there were that said, we have mortgage. Now, notice that word mortgage. You ought to be familiar with that word. The word mortgage means to use property as security for a loan. Now, notice what it says. We have mortgaged our lands, vineyards, and houses that we might buy corn because of the dirt. Now, the dirt there is a reference to there was a famine. It was uh, one of the reasons for the financial difficulty that they were having. There was a lack or a, scar- a scarcity of food. Look at verse 4. There were also that said, so here's another reason why they're having financial problems. We have borrowed money for the king's tribute. So they're uh, having to pay taxes to the king. There's a certain amount that they owe the king, and they uh, didn't have the money to pay that, and that upon our land and vineyard. So I want you to understand what's going on here. The poor, because of a dearth, because of a famine, because of a scarcity of food, and because of the fact that they have to pay the king's tribute, don't have the money to be able to pay these bills, so they have mortgaged their lands, and they're borrowing basically from the nobles and from the rulers, and the result of that is always the same. Look at verse 5, yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children, and lo, we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants, and some of our daughters are brought unto bondage already. Neither is it in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. So basically, they, saw, they, they borrowed on their lands, their vineyards, their property, and they're being foreclosed upon now because they're not able to pay the bill. They're, they're you know, uh, having to pay their creditors, and what they're doing is they're actually taking their children to be servants and to be slaves. And you got to understand, the Bible is consistent and I'm not preaching on finances uh, this morning, but the Bible says, you don't have to turn there. Let me just read this verse for you. Proverbs 22, 7, it says, The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. 
The Bible never talks in a positive way about debt. It never talks in a positive way about going into bondage. And, you, ought, you know, some of you ought to just throw out your credit cards, cut them up, pay off your debt, and never go back into debt. Because the borrower is always servant to the lender. And here, in a very physical way, they borrowed from the nobles. They borrowed from the rulers. And now they're not able to pay, and their children are being taken away. And they said, look at the last part of verse 5. It is in our power. They said, neither is it in our power to redeem them. They said, we can't even buy them back. We can't even go, you know, uh, help our children. We can't buy them out of slavery for other men have our lands and vineyards. So there was this conflict in the land. There was this problem. And Nehemiah, of course, as a leader, confronts the problem and resolves the conflict. Look at verse 6. And I, this is Nehemiah speaking, was very angry. And I heard their cry in these words. Now, I want you to notice, because Nehemiah is a great leader, and as Nehemiah, as you, you notice how Nehemiah deals with things. He was very angry, but notice, it says, when I heard their cry and these words. As a good leader, Nehemiah took the time to listen. He didn't just react and respond. He said, okay, what's going on? Explain to me what happened. And they're explaining to him, here's what happened. You know that famine? Here's what happened. You know those taxes we have to pay? Here's what happened. You know the debt we're in? We're not able to pay. They're taking our children from us. Look at verse 7. Then, notice Nehemiah's leadership, I consulted with myself. As a good leader, Nehemiah thought before he took action. You ever said something before you thought? Then you regretted it. You ever did something and then you went back and thought? And you said, if I would have taken a moment to think about that, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have said that. But here Nehemiah says, the Bible says, then I consulted with myself. And I rebuked the nobles. He went ahead and rebuked them, but he did it on purpose. He did it purposely. Now notice, he rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said unto them, Ye exact usury. The word usury means interest. He says, Ye exact usury, every one of his brother, and I set a great assembly against him. So I want you to understand what's going on. You've got the poor on one side. You've got the nobles and the rulers, the aristocrats on the other side. They, the poor borrowed from the nobles, borrowed from the rulers. They're not able to pay their bills. They're not able to pay uh, because of the famine, because of the dirt. Now they're being foreclosed upon. Now they're having their lands taken. And they still weren't able to pay after that so their children are being taken they're coming to Nehemiah and saying Nehemiah you know here's what's going on Nehemiah gets upset and Nehemiah gets angry he heard he listened he thought he consulted with himself and then he went to them and said ye exact usury every one of his brother and I set a great assembly against them and there, there's a lot that we could talk about there interest and loans and borrowing and and lending and I'm not going to deal with that this morning we'll deal with that uh, at another time soon, I'm sure. But you got to understand this. In the Bible, they were forbidden. The Israelites were not supposed to uh, lend upon usury to their brethren. If they allowed their brother to borrow money, they were supposed to just allow them to borrow the money without you know, charging them interest. And they could take a pledge to make sure that they were going to be repaid, but they were not supposed to uh, lend upon usury. They were allowed to lend upon usury to foreign lands, but not to their own brethren. Look at verse 8. I want you to notice what happens when Nehemiah deals with this problem. And I don't know if you read this passage before uh, you got here this morning or just as we read it uh, this morning before the sermon, but I was pretty surprised at the response that Nehemiah got. Look at verse 8. And I said unto them, this is Nehemiah speaking, We, after our ability, have redeemed our brethren, the Jews, which were sold unto the heathen. And will ye even sell your brethren? Or shall they be sold unto us? 
Now notice what the notice the response. These are not these are not you know employees of Nehemiah. These are not Nehemiah's children. These are not people who necessarily even like nearby. These are the nobles and the rulers. If you remember from a previous chapter, he couldn't even get some of the nobles to work on the wall. Okay? These are people that have money. They are arrogant. They are powerful. They, they are taking advantage of the poor. They're mean people. But notice how they respond to Nehemiah. Look at the last part of verse 8. Then held they their peace and found nothing to answer. They had nothing to say. They, Nehemiah rebukes them and says, what are you doing? You're exacting usury. Why are you doing this? And they just stay quiet. They say, we don't, we don't have anything to say. We don't have any way to justify ourselves. Look at verse 9. Also, I said, it's not good that you do. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the heathen, our enemies? I likewise and my brethren and my servants might exact of them money and corn. I pray you, let us leave off this usury. He says, let's stop, you know, taking advantage of our brethren, of our family. Let's stop charging them interest. Notice verse 11. Now notice what happens. He says, restore, I pray you. The word pray means to ask or beseech. He said, I'm asking you. No, Nehemiah can't command them to do anything. It's their, their decision. But he says, restore, I pray you to them even this day. Here's what Nehemiah is saying to people. Could you imagine somebody? going to your bank and saying, hey, can you give them back their house? Can you give them back their car? Can you give them back all those things you took from them that you, you took away? Notice verse 11. Restore, I pray you, to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive yards, their houses, also the hundredth part of their money. He's like, can you return back the interest that you gave? That's a pretty good interest there, 1%. You know, that's a lot better than we get today. He's like, can you give them back the interest and of the corn, the wine, the oil that ye exact of them? He's like, can you, nearby says, I pray you, I'm asking you to restore everything you've taken. Now notice the response that Nehemiah gets from rich people, from powerful people, from bankers, from loan sharks. Look at the response, verse 12. Then said they, that's the nobles and the rulers, we will restore them. You know, next to that, I, I want to write in my Bible, whoa. I mean, that's, what a surprise. I mean, who's ever gone to the bank and said, hey, I know you took my house, and I know that I'm the one that borrowed the money, and I know that I'm not the one that paid, it, paid you when I was supposed to, and you took my house away, but can you give it back? And the bank just says, sure. But here Nehemiah says, hey, give them back their houses, give them back their land, give them back the corn, the wine, the money, the interest, give it all back. And they said, we will restore them and will require nothing of them. So will we do as, notice, so will we do, here's the only reason they're giving it back, so will we do, not because they want to, not because they're guilty, not because they're getting right with God, so will we do as thou sayest. Say, Nehemiah, because you're asking us to return it, we'll do it. We'll give it back. You know what you call that? Influence. Nehemiah was a leader because Nehemiah had influence. Nehemiah had this ability to be able to go to people and say, can you do this? And it was something that they didn't necessarily want to do. In fact, they were doing the exact opposite just a couple of verses before. But because he asked and because of the amount of respect that they had for him, they said, we'll do it. We'll give it back because you said it as thou sayest. Then I called the priests and took an oath of them that they should do according to this promise. Look at verse 13. Also, I shook my lap and said, So God, shake out every man from his house and from his labor that performeth not this promise. Even thus shall be shaken out and emptied. And all the congregation said, Amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did according to his promise. 
We've been talking over the last several weeks over this idea of rise and build, how to build a life that makes a difference. I wonder how many of you parents would like to have a 19-year-old, 20-year-old, 21-year-old daughter or son who's maybe gotten involved with someone that you know is trouble and you know they're not going to be good for them. How many parents would love to have the amount of influence on their 21-year-old daughter to be able to say, hey, listen, honey, I just don't think he's the right guy. And for her to say, I love him and he's so cute. But you know what, Dad? Because you asked, I won't further that relationship. I mean, could you imagine that happening in the United States of America in 2015? Could you imagine a mom having so much influence over their child that they could say, hey, listen, I just don't think that's the right place for you. I don't think that's the right friend for you. I don't think you should go. I mean, husbands, how many husbands would love to have an influence over their wife where they could just say, hey, listen, honey, I don't think this is a good idea. And, and, and for her to say, I will submit to what you are saying, not because I like it or I agree it, but because of the amount of respect that I have for you. I mean, wouldn't you love, for those of you that are managers and you know, business owners, you have employees and people that work for, wouldn't you be able to have that amount of influence over your workers, over your employees, even just over friends, that people would have such a respect and admiration for you that they would say, I will personally lose out on this deal, Nehemiah, because you ask, because you did it. See, it's influence that Nehemiah had. And you've got to understand something about the influence that Nehemiah had. The power to Nehemiah's influence came from his personal integrity. Look at verse number 8, Nehemiah chapter 5. Look at verse 8. I want to develop this. We'll make some applications here in a minute, and we won't be too long. But I want you to notice why. Why did they do? Why did they have nothing to say? Notice verse 8. And I said unto them, this is Nehemiah rebuking the nobles. And I said unto them, Notice what he says. He says, we, after our ability, Nehemiah said, me and my workers, me and my posse, you know, me and the guys that came from, from the kingdom to restore. He said, we, after our ability, have redeemed our brethren, the Jews, which were sold unto the heathen. Here's what he's saying. When I came into town, a bunch of the Jews were under slavery. They were in bondage. They were sold into, unto the heathen because of the same thing, because of, you know, uh, you know, mortgaging their land and mortgaging their property and going to debt. And here's what Nehemiah says. We, after our ability, have redeemed our brethren, the, the Jews, which were sold unto the heathen. And will ye even sell your brethren? Here's what he's saying. I showed up and I bought them out of slavery. Are you going to sell them into slavery? Notice what he says. Look at that last part of verse 8. Or, or, shall they be sold unto us? Here's what Nehemiah is saying to the nobles. Am I going to have to buy them back from you now? He said, I already bought them back from the heathen. I already bought them back from the, the, the foreigners. I already bought them back from our enemy. But am I going to have to buy them back from you? Or shall they be sold unto us? Then hailed they their peace and found nothing to say. Look at verse 9. Also I said, it is not good that ye do. Ought ye not to walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the heathen, our enemies? Look at verse 10. I likewise. He says, I likewise and my brethren and my servant. He said, me and my servants and my brethren. He said, we could, notice what he says, might exact of them money and corn. Here's what he's saying. I could do the same thing you're doing. He's saying this to the nobles and the rulers. You know that I could have let them borrow money and charge them usury? And made them go into bondage and slavery. He said, you know that my servants, you know that my workers, you know that I likewise and my brethren and my servants might exact of them money and corn. But he says, I pray you let, let us leave off this usury. Here's what he's saying. 
I could do what you do. I could put them into bondage. I could take you know, advantage of this famine. I could take advantage of them because they're poor. I could make them borrow and put them into debt and take advantage of them. I could do what you're doing. But he says, I have chosen not to do what you're doing. Look, look skip down to verse 14. Notice what the Bible says. Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 14. We're developing the text. I want you to understand what's going on. Look at verse 14. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor. So Nehemiah says, from the moment that I showed up as the governor, I was put in charge of Jerusalem in the land of Judah from the 20th year even unto the 2 and 30th year of Artaxerxes the king. That is 12 years. He says, for the last 12 years that I've been governor, I and my brethren have not, notice, have not eaten the bread of the governor. Here's what he's saying. I was given the job of being the governor. He said, but when I showed up, I just decided, you know what, I'm not going to take any pay. The food that belongs to the governor, the, the pay that goes to the governor, he says, I'm not going to, for the last 12 years, I've just worked as a volunteer to help the people. Remember, he was there for the welfare of the people. He decided, I have not eaten bread of the governor. Look at verse 15. But the former governors, he says, the guys that used to have my job, that had been before me, were chargeable unto the people. And had taken of them bread and wine, besides forty shekels of silver. Yea, even their servants bear rule over the people. But so did not I. He says, the guys that used to have my job, they took advantage of people, but I didn't. He said, I could have, as a governor, I could have done what you do. But here's what he said, but so did not I because of the fear of God. Yea, also I continue to the work of this wall. Neither bought we any land, and all my servants were gathered hither unto the work. He said, from the moment we showed up, we had one vision. We've had one goal, to build the wall. We gathered hither unto the work. He said, I didn't start a, I didn't start a side real estate business. What are you saying? Look at verse 17. Moreover, there were at my table 150 of the Jews and rulers, beside those that came unto us from among the heathen that are about us. He's saying, I, he said, I took 150 people and I fed them. Look at verse 18. Now at that which was prepared for me daily was one... He, he said, this is how much it takes to feed 150 people breakfast, lunch, and dinner. He says, now that which was prepared for me daily was one ox and six choice sheep. Also fowls were prepared for me and one in ten days store of all sorts of wine. Yet, yet, he says, even though it costs that much to feed all those people, yet... For all this required not I, the bread of the governor, because of the bondage was heavy upon his people. Here's what he's saying. I could have taken that food. I could have taken that money. I could have exact, uh, taken usury from them. But he said, because I knew these people were poor, because I knew the bondage was heavy upon these people, because I knew of the famine, because I knew of the king's tribute, because I knew that they had all these financial difficulties, I just decided not to. And here's what you got to understand. Nehemiah's influence and go with me to the book of Matthew. Keep your finger there in Nehemiah 5. We're going to come back to it. But go to Matthew, first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter number 7. That's the story. I want you, we'll make some applications here in a second. Because of Nehemiah's personal integrity, he had a powerful amount of influence. Where he could literally go to a banker and say, will you give them back their house? And the banker said, sure, Nehemiah, I'll do it just because you said so. But where did that influence come from? It came, it stemmed from his personal integrity. Because he could say, I could have done what you've done, but I chose not to. I could have taken the money, but I chose not to. I could have taken the pay, but I chose not to. Why not, Nehemiah? He says, because of the bondage that was heavy upon this people and because of the fear of God, I chose not to. 
And you've got to understand this. We cannot influence others. We cannot influence others while we are living in the same or worse sins as they are. See, if Nehemiah would have gone to the nobles, if Nehemiah would have gone to the rulers, and he would have been taken, you know, the usury, he would have been taken the taxes, he would have been taken the governor's pay for the last 12 years, if he would have gone to the nobles and the rulers and said, hey, listen, you guys are taking advantage of these people, they usually have to sell their servants into slavery, can you cut them a break? I mean, even if he wouldn't have asked, give them back their more, if he would have just said, can you give them an extended uh, grace period, can you give them, you know, a year to get back on their feet, they probably would have just laughed and rolled their eyes and said, whatever, Nehemiah. If he had been also involved in usury and taking advantage of the poor. But because he didn't, because he didn't, and they knew that, because he could say, I have not done what you've done. And he had this personal reputation of integrity. The amount of integrity that he had fueled the amount of influence that he had. And see, you and I cannot influence others while living in sin. Are you there in Matthew chapter 7? Look at verse 1. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, famous verses in Scripture, known as the Sermon on the Mount that the Lord Jesus Christ preached. Notice what it says. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. He's saying, however much you want to judge someone, that's how much you're going to get judged. Whatever measuring stick you want to use, that's the measuring stick that's going to be used on you. Look at verse 3. And why, notice the question that Christ asks, and why beholdest thou the mote that is in thine brother's eyes? Okay, so a mote is a small piece of, of wood, like a, like a splinter. It says, why are you, you know, so concerned about the splinter in your brother's eye, the mote in your brother's eye, but consider it's not the beam. What's a beam? A beam is a huge piece of wood that you would use to fortify a, a structure. It's like a two by four. He says, why beholdest thou the mote that is in thine own eye, but consider it's not the beam that is in thine own eye. Here's what he's saying. You cannot help your brother. You cannot influence your brother. You cannot make an impact on somebody else's life. You cannot help somebody else get problems out of their life while you've got, you say, I'll take the, be- the, the moat out of your eye while you've got a beam in your own eye. He says, why beholdest thou the moat that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Look at verse 4. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Nehemiah, how would you say to your brother, let me pull out the moat out of thine eye? Hey, can you stop taking usury? And behold, a beam is in thine own eye while I take usury, while I take financial advantage of the poor. But see, Nehemiah hadn't done that. He didn't have a beam in his own eye. So he was able to pull the moat out of his other's eye. And here's what it comes down to, and here's why we have no influence, and here's why your children won't listen to you, and your employees won't listen to you, and people don't respect you, and you try to give the gospel to your family, you try to give the gospel to your friends, and they laugh at you, and they think you're just silly. Here's why. Because no one respects, look at verse 5, thou hypocrite. See, the truth of the matter is, the reason we have no influence on people is because of our personal lack of integrity. Because people see us as trying to pull the moat out of their eye while we have a beam in our eye. Let me give you an example. Go with me to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 2, actually. Some of you are saying, uh, this is a Wednesday night. Now, I've never done this. I don't know that I've done this recently or anything at all. This last Wednesday night, we were in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And we're specifically dealing with the story of Eli and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. There were some parts of the story that I just didn't have time to get to because there's so much in that chapter. And it actually goes perfectly with this morning's Nehemiah series, which I didn't really have a, I didn't have that plan to overlap that way, but it just did. So I want to, you to notice a couple of things. This is kind of like bonus Wednesday night for those of you that were here on Wednesday night, just some more info on the Wednesday night Bible study. 
Look at 1 Samuel chapter 2 and look at verse 16. For those of you that were here on Wednesday night, you remember the story, and I won't take a lot of time to go through it. But look at 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 16. If you, if you start from Nehemiah, you go backwards, you'll go past the book of Ezra, past all those first and second books, 1 and 2 Chronicles, 1 and 2 Kings, and then you'll be in 1 and 2 Samuel. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 2 and look at verse number 16. Notice what the Bible says, 1 Samuel 2, 16. And if any man said unto him... Now remember, the story is about Eli and his sons, all right? They were priests, remember that? And his sons were stealing from the house of God, from the people that were bringing a sacrifice to the tabernacle. And also his sons were fornicating with the women that came to the tabernacle. Now, in verse 16, we have a man of God, a preacher, a prophet that shows up. And basically he shows up and he's now going to rebuke Eli. And he's going to say, Eli, here's what's wrong, you know, with what you're doing. Now notice what he says in verse 16. And if any man said unto him, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm reading the wrong passage. This is the passage where the, the kids are actually stealing, all right? Hop nine. Phineas. Now, it's not them stealing, it's their servants stealing on their behalf. Okay, I apologize. Look at verse 16. And if any man said unto him, this is Eli's sons, which are Hophni and Phineas, his servant, let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and take as much as thy soul desireth. Then he would answer him, Nay, but thou shalt give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. So remember, the servant was coming and saying, you know, the priest wants you to give a certain amount, and the people were saying, that's not how we're supposed to do it, we're supposed to burn it first, and then you can take whatever you want. And they were saying, no, give it to me now, or I'll take it by force. They were stealing from the people, okay? Now here's what you got to understand. Go down to verse 27. Here's where I was talking about the man of God shows up, and he's going to rebuke Eli. Notice what the man of God says to Eli, verse 27, 1 Samuel 2, 27. And there came a man of God unto Eli and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, did I plainly appear unto the house of thy father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Skip down to verse 29. I just don't have time to read verse 28. You can read it if you'd like. Verse 29. Wherefore, kick ye at my sacrifice and at mine offering, which I have commanded in my habitation. Now remember, he's saying, you're kicking at my sacrifice. You're kicking at my offering. Now, what were they doing? They were stealing from the sacrifice. They were stealing from the offering. Now, notice what it says. Wherefore, kick ye at my sacrifice and at mine offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest thy sons above me. Now, notice what he says. For to make, he's, he's talking to Eli, for to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings. Here's what he says. Because Eli, if you remember, if you'll be with us in the next several weeks, Eli actually dies. And the Bible tells us he was a heavy man, he was a big man, and he fell backward and died, okay? And here the, pre, the, the prophet is saying to Eli, you know what, your sons have been stealing from the sacrifice and the offering, but he said, you've been eating from what they've been stealing and you've made yourself fat from what they're eating. Here's what he's telling them, you've been involved in their sin. See, Eli had a lack of integrity. Eli Knowing that his children were involved in this sin, you know, he's like, it's not good what you're doing. You shouldn't steal from them. But when they were, you know, cooking up the steaks, he's like, sure, I'll have some. You know, he's sitting down and eating with them. He had a lack of integrity. Now, notice what did that cause? His lack of integrity cast a, caused a lack of influence. Look, look at verse 22. Remember, Eli goes to his sons to try to rebuke them. What happens? Notice what it says. Isaiah, I'm sorry, first time, good night, Isaiah, that's Sunday night, okay? First uh, Samuel 2.22, I'm all confused. First Samuel 2.22, notice what the Bible says. Now Eli was very old, 
and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel. What did they do? They were stealing from the sacrifice. They were fornicating with the women. And how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Verse 23. And he said unto them, Why do ye such things? I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. Now, if you have your finger in Nehemiah chapter 5, just flip over just real quickly. If you don't, don't worry about it. But I want you to see how these two, this is what Eli says to his sons. For it is no good report that I hear. Notice what Nehemiah said to the nobles and the rulers in Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 9. Notice what he says. Also I said, it is not good that ye do. You notice how they both basically said the same thing? Eli said to his sons, it's no good report that I hear. Nehemiah said to the nobles and the rulers, it is not good that ye do. Go back to 1 Samuel 2, look at verse 25. But notice the separate, the different response that they got. Verse 25. This is what Eli is saying to his sons. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they, Eli's sons, they hearkened not unto the voice of their father because the Lord would slay them. Nehemiah goes to the nobles and rulers. He says, give back the money. And they said, we have nothing to say. We will restore it all because you ask. Eli goes to his sons and says, stop doing what you're doing. And they rolled their eyes, and they said, we're not going to listen to you, Dad. What was the difference? One had integrity on their side. The other one didn't. You understand that? One was able to say, I could, have done, I could do what you do, but I chose not to. But Eli, see, Eli couldn't say that to his children because he was partaking in their sin. Because he was eating of, this, of the food that they were stealing. You've got to understand this. Your influence is connected to your integrity. I know of a guy who has a wife, who is ruining them financially. His wife has an actual addiction. She is addicted to spending money. I mean, she buys like crazy and literally ruining them financially. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll just be like, well, you need to get a hold of, you know, you need to just take away the credit card, you know, uh, don't let her watch the sh- home shopping network anymore. I mean, you got to get a hold of this. But he, he refuses to, and here's why. He has a drinking problem. Now, his drinking problem isn't ruining them financially, but because she has something to hold over his head, he can't correct her. Do you see what I'm saying? He can't step in and say, hey, you got to stop spending so much money. You know, you're going to ruin us financially because she can turn around and say, well, you drink and you spend money on this. He has no influence over his wife. Why? Because of a lack of integrity. See, when you can say to your children, when you can say to your employees, when you can say to your spouse, when you can try to influence someone. And notice, Nehemiah wasn't being rude. Nehemiah wasn't being mean. Nehemiah, he just said, hey, can you give this back? I pray you. Can you restore what you've taken? He said, I could have done what you've done, but I chose not to. Can you do it out of respect for me? And they said, sure. Eli says, hey, sons, can you stop doing this? He said, dad, you weren't complaining last night when we were having steaks. You weren't complaining about it before, you know. Now, now that people are com- uh, coming to you and, and t- saying things to you, now you want to. And they rolled their eyes and they said, notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto the voice of their father. So here's a question I have for you. I've been asking you a question every, every sermon in Nehemiah. I've been asking you a question. Here's a question I have for you. What is hindering your influence? What is hindering your influence? What sin is causing you to lose respect from those you want to influence? What is it that keeps you at bay? What is it that keeps you? You say, well, I can't really, I know that my children shouldn't be doing that, but I'm just, I don't want to correct them. Why? Well, because my kids know that I'm in fill in the blank. I mean, what is it? 
is it drug abuse? You can't, you can't lead a wife. You can't lead a child. You can't tell your kids, hey, don't, don't smoke while you're smoking, dad, while you're smoking, mom. You can't tell your kids, hey, alcohol is bad for you. Don't drink alcohol while you're a drunk. Do you understand that? You, you cannot remove the moat out of their eye while you've got a beam in your own eye. We cannot lead our families while walking in a lack of integrity. You understand that? Whether it's drug abuse, whether it's alcohol, whether it's, just, whether it's not providing for your family, whether it's pornography, whether it's... Hey, whatever it is, whatever sin you're in, whatever it's your little deal and your little thing, that will inhibit the amount of influence you can have on people. Because a lack of integrity produces a lack of influence. And while you're messing around with pornography and while you're messing around in adultery and while you're messing around on drugs and while you're messing around with gambling and you're doing these lack of integrity type things and then you want to go correct your wife, then you want to go correct your kids, then you want to go correct your employees for being late when you show up late every day, it just doesn't work. Do you understand what I'm saying? So how does it affect your children? What is it? Just not keeping your word? Just not providing for your family? Just being worldly? Just being, you know, crude with your words? Just, you know, cursing or using foul language? And then you, you want to preach about Jesus on Sunday, but they're like, well, you were cursing us out on Monday, Dad. What is it in your life that is hindering your influence? Someone said this, success is when the people who know you the best respect you the most. And that hurts. See, it's easy to get respect from people who don't know you. People on Facebook, they think you're great because they don't know anything about you. Success is when the people who know you the best respect you the most. See, what Nehemiah had in that influence was also integrity. And what we lack in our influence is because we lack in integrity. Can you get back to Matthew chapter 7? Let me just show you one verse. We'll, we'll be done here in a couple of minutes. I'm going to show you four verses, okay? I said one, but I was lying. That was my lack of integrity. Four verses, what I'm going to show you, okay? Matthew chapter 7, look at verse 5. I just lost all the influence. Everything I did in this sermon is done. Matthew chapter 7, look at verse 5. Say, well, Pastor Jimenez, what do I do if I've already lost my influence? I've already messed up. I've already lost their respect. I already have no influence over my wife. I already have no influence over my husband. I already have no influence over my children. I already have no influence over my family. I already have no influence. At, at, at work, I've got a bad reputation. They just, I have no influence. What do I do? Well, notice what Christ said. Matthew chapter 7, look at verse 5. Thou hypocrite. Now, here's the, here's the answer to being a hypocrite. First cast out the beam out of thine own eye. He says, go ahead and take care of yourself. Stop worrying about what other people are doing and just go ahead and take care of the beam that is in thine own eye. Notice what he says. First cast out the beam in thine own eye and then eventually shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. See, I've lost the influence I, I could have had on my children. You can regain it. You can regain it. It might take time. You can regain it, but you've got to cast the beam out of your own eye. See, I've already lost the respect that my wife had for me. You can regain it. It might take a long time, but you can regain it. Say, well, what do I do? You get the beam out of your own eye. You fix your hypocrisy problems. You walk in truth. You walk in integrity. You walk long enough for them to know this is real. This is who I am. I've been here, Nehemiah could say, for 12 years, and I've never taken financial advantage of anyone. And he says, and I could have because I was the governor. But because of that, because of that, 
he had influence. Go to, go back to Nehemiah. Let's just do this real quickly. We'll be done. Nehemiah chapter 5. You say, where does this stem from? I just got, I got to show you this. I feel like I'm not, I wouldn't be a good uh, preacher if I didn't do this because it comes up th- throughout the passage, so I need to show it to you. Nehemiah chapter 5. Where does that come from? Nehemiah chapter 5. Look at verse 15. Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 15. But the former governors that had been before me were chargeable unto the people, and had taken of them bread and wine, beside forty shekels of silver. Yea, even their servants bear rule over the people, but so did not I. Now here's the key. Why Nehemiah did not take advantage of the people? Because of the fear of God. Do you see that? Because of the fear of God. Look, look at verse 9. Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 9. What did the nobles and the rulers lack? Notice what it says. Nehemiah 5, 9. This is Nehemiah yelling at them and, and rebuking them. And I said, it is not good that ye do. Ought ye not to walk in the fear of our God? See, Nehemiah said, you know why I didn't do what you did? Because I fear God. And you know why you did what you did? Because you don't fear God. And see, the problem that we have, can you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7? 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. The problem that we have when we walk in when deceit and deceiving people and lying and a lack of integrity, the problem that we have is we just don't fear God. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, look at verse 1. We'll do it quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved... Let us cleanse ourselves from our filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And see, people want to teach that the fear of God is just this respect for God, and it definitely is a respect for God. But you know what we have to get to the place where I've realized that when we sin and when we lie and when we just walk in a lack of integrity, I've realized this, we're just not afraid of God. And we need to get to the place where I am actually afraid of God, what God will do to me. I am afraid of what will happen to my marriage. What will happen to my children if she leaves, if he leaves? What will happen if I get fired? I'm just afraid. What will happen if I live in fornication? I'm just, you know, fornication or if I live in drug abuse or if I live, you know, I'm just afraid. I'm actually afraid of God. Be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever man soweth. That shall he also be. And when you walk in that, and you say, I'm just afraid of God, then you learn to walk in integrity. And you're even willing to sacrifice things that you say, well, everybody else gets to do it. Every other governor got to do it. Every, I have the power to do it. I have the ability to do it. But Nehemiah would say, I choose to sacrifice. I choose to not do those things that other people do. And notice, I just want you to notice the last, the last verse, Nehemiah chapter 5. Look at verse, uh, the last verse, verse number 19. Notice what he says. Say, well, Pastor Mendes, you don't understand. If everybody else gets to do it, why don't I? Here's, you got to get to this place. Verse 19. Think upon me. This is Nehemiah speaking to God. My God. For good, according to all that I have done for this people. He says, you know what, God? You know. You know the sacrifices I've made. You know the things that I've done. You know how I've walked with you. And maybe I'm getting ripped off. And maybe I should be enjoying it. And I see everybody else doing it. I see every other governor doing it. I see everybody else just enjoying their lives and doing. And, and maybe I am dumb, but I fear you. And you know what, God? That's good enough for me. You bless me. You think upon me, my God, for good, according to all that I've done for these people. People say, well, if I get a divorce, what am I supposed to do? The Bible says you're supposed to remain unmarried. Or you can return to your spouse. And, I, I, and that's the counsel I give to people when they get a divorce. Remain unmarried. That's what the Bible teaches. And people say, well, everybody else does it. Well, let, it, let God deal with them. But you just walk in integrity and you say, you know what? God knows. God knows. 
God knows who I am. God knows where I am. God knows what I'm doing. And here's what you got to understand. The lack of influence we have is connected to the lack of integrity. Let's bow our heads.